Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned, line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is that God would truly have us to understand from the letter that He wrote to us. Hello there and God bless you. Welcome into the study today. We're very glad to have you. We're going to be finishing the book of Genesis and picking it up in Genesis 49 verse 1. Now we left off in our last study where Jacob is on his deathbed and he's starting to give the blessings to his children. And they're not so much, or they are blessings, but at the same time they are prophecies of where the tribes are going to end up. And we're going to get pretty heavy in that today. Now where we left off the last time, he called Jacob in, or Joseph in, and he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said, now these are my sons. Any other sons you have, they, are, they can be yours, but these are my sons. And what he did in doing that was transferred the double blessing, the double portion of the firstborn, that blessing, from Reuben, who was the true firstborn, to Jacob. And if you remember the coat of many colors, that was a sign of... Jacob wanted him to be that heir of the double blessing or the double portion. And so that was one of the things that caused so much strife between Joseph and his brothers, because naturally he was not the oldest. He was actually, there was a whole lot of them in front of him. Now, we're going to go ahead and dive right into it. Chapter 49, verse 1, we ask for clarity and understanding from our father in Jesus name. And verse 1 reads, and Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourself together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now this is the first occurrence of 14 where the last days or the latter days are mentioned in the Old Testament. It goes from here all the way to Micah chapter 4 verse 1. It's spread throughout the entire Old Testament. And it always refers to the first or the second advent, advent of Messiah. Chapter, uh, verse 2, Gather yourselves together, and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Now you remember Jacob was symbolic of the weaker, the flesh man, whereas Israel was the strong spiritual leader. Verse 3, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. And what this is given reference to is when Reuben went into Bilhah, if my memory serves me correct, which was Leah's handmaid, and laid with her. Now, Bilhah was given to Israel as a concubine, which would be a wife. So that was him lying with his father's wife, which would be uncovering his father's nakedness. Therefore, he defiled Jacob in doing that. And so at that point, Jacob was, you know, done with him being the heir of the firstborn's blessing. Now, also in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborns of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but forasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright 
was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. So at that point is where he did not excel. It was all given to Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, or this is their counsel. Unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. And this is referring to Genesis chapter 34, where Dinah, their sister, was raped. And they went in, they were wanting not only to have Dinah, but they wanted all the daughters of Israel. And naturally, that, that went against God's plan, because this, this genealogy had to stay pure for the line of Christ. And they acted, I guess you could say, in righteous indignation and slew all of them. Now, Jacob saw it as a bad thing. At the same time, they were doing God's will. And we'll see in just a moment that God didn't look that heavily upon them. Verse 7. Cursed be their anger. Now, he didn't curse the boys or the men, but he cursed the anger. For it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. All right, so the scattering for Simeon, you can read in Joshua chapter 19, verse 1, that he was scattered mostly throughout Judah. And as for Levi, where I say that God probably, you know, he respected at least a little of what they did because rape has the same punishment as murder, as capital punishment. You are to dispatch them to God. And some might say, well, what good does that do, you know, one life for another. Well, that person that took a life or that raped someone won't ever be able to do that again. Now, as far as Levi being scattered, in Exodus 32, yes, the Levites were scattered throughout all of Israel because each tribe needed a priest to keep them in line, to keep them in the truth, in the word of God. But in Exodus chapter 32, God blessed the Levites and caused them to be the priest line. Therefore, if he was angry with them and was going to curse them for their anger, they would not have received that blessing. All right, moving on. Verse 8. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise, which is what Judah means is praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies, meaning he's going to overcome them. He's going to have them under control. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee, because he will be the king lion. Judah is a lion's whelp for the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Now this, until Shiloh come, this is a, I guess you could say a nickname for the Messiah, just as the lion of the tribe of Judah, or the stone the, the, that stone that the builders rejected. And the scepter shall not depart, because all the way from Judah down now, King Saul was a Benjamite, but then David it picked up. David was of Judah. All the way down to Christ, who was of the tribe of Judah and Levi, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. So that scepter has still not departed, because Christ is the king. Verse 11. Binding his fowl unto the vine, 
and his ass and his ass's coat unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. He shall be red, his eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white white with milk. Now this sounds kind of bad. It sounds it could have a you know, somebody could take that negatively, but what it means is he's gonna be rich. He's gonna have just everything, the choicest of everything. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Now this Zebulun, there's a very interesting documentary, and I, I don't push much of uh, documentaries or anything like that very often, but there's a very interesting documentary by a biblical archaeologist named E. Raymond Capt. And it's called, I believe it's called Strange Parallel. And it really brings out Zebulun and follows them through their migrations and shows that most likely where the, the Dutch settled with the windmills and all the ports and all of that, that is today where Zebulun is. Verse 14, Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. And he saw the rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant under tribute. Now, where this came to pass is that Issachar preferred to pay the Canaanites rather than to fight them. He was trying to pay and, and make buddies through paying them off so that they wouldn't attack him, so that they'd just leave him alone. And it turned around to bite him because they kept wanting more and more and more, and eventually he ran out. You can't, you can't buy friends. Verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And this was fulfilled by Samson in Judges 15.20, where he became the judge. 17, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels so, so that his rider shall fall backwards. This is referring to the fact that Dan was the first one to be tempted into idolatry. They're the ones that fell into it not only first, but pretty hard. I mean, they were, they were right there in Judges 18.30. That's where you can see they start going that way. That's also why in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, they were omitted from the tribes. Now, naturally, at the end of Revelation, they were put back in, but they still lost their place in that chapter. Verse 19, Gad, a troop shall overcome him. And Gad means a troop, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, in between these two verses in the Hebrew, there is naturally there's no verses in the Hebrew. Uh, this was done by the translators in the King James Bible. But in between these two verses, there is the Hebrew letter M. And if we correctly read verse 19, it will say, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall press upon their heel. And then 20, instead of reading out of, it should just say, Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. And that would fall in line with the rest of them, because Asher is the only one that's different where it, uh, it, where it has something in front of his name. And that's all it was was a, a translation error. Verse 21. 
naturally is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. Verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow, even a fruitful bow by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The, archer, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. 25. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee? And by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessing of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. And this, this is set apart from his brethren. What it's meaning is that he was set apart from the beginning. Jacob naturally had these feelings of favoritism over him, but who's to say that that was not God's will imposing those feelings, not necessarily imposing, but causing those feelings to come about so that he would be treated as the favorite, so that the brothers would become jealous of him, and then God's plan the whole time is working to send him into Egypt, wherefore he would become the type of Savior at that time for all of Israel and of that area of the world at that time during the famine. Verse 27, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Now, that means there'll be great warriors. And Benjamin was very well known for their archers. They had great archers, and even King Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a great warrior. And then you come all the way to the New Testament. There's In the New Testament, you have Paul, who was a tremendous warrior for God. And you can read in Romans that he, though he was a Roman citizen, meaning he was born in Rome and had citizenship, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 28, And these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Every one according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, for a possession of a burying place. Now see, this goes all the way back to why you... The Ephron was going to give this land to Abraham, but Abraham said, no, 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 no. I want to pay for it. I want to get a deed that way it stays in the family. If he wouldn't have done that, if he wouldn't have paid for it, then there would be no proof in the Hittites after Ephron and Abraham passed. They could have easily taken it back, but Abraham went the right, the right way around that. Verse 31, there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. Now, if you spell out these names or use the first letters, Isaac, Sarah, Rebekah, Abraham, and Leah, then you have an acrostic which spells out Israel. And the thing about this cave is it is still known of today. It is called the, the Tomb of the Patriarchs, I believe. And they still know where it's at, and it is a holy site to this day.
Verse 32. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his son, his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed, and yielding up the ghost, or the spirit, he was gathered unto his people. Now this don't say that he yielded up his spirit and was just there. No, he's gathered back to his people. This goes right along with Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where it says, As soon as the clay pot breaks, that means when this flesh body wears out and you die, your spirit immediately returns to God in paradise. Chapter 50 verse 1. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. Naturally, he loved him and... You know, this was the beginning of the grieving in the mourning process. Verse 2, And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the, and the physicians embalmed Israel. Now, they had a long trip to go back to Hebron, back to get to this cave. We're in, in Goshen right now, which is near modern-day Memphis, southern Egypt, and they've got to go all the way up to where Israel, around where Israel is this today, around Jerusalem today. So they've got a long trip ahead of them. They needed to have him embalmed because that wouldn't have been a pretty scene. Verse 3, And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of, which are, of those which are embalmed. So they, they had that process that they had to do. And the Egyptians mourned him threescore and ten days, Seventy days they mourned for Joseph, for Jacob, excuse me. That shows how much the Egyptians loved this family and how much they looked up to him or, or looked to him. Verse 4, And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die, in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. So I made this promise. Let me go. You just let me go bury him, and I'll come right back. I'm not going to stay. I'm not going to run off. I'll be right back. Verse 6. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his house and all the elders of the land of Egypt and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house. Only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. And it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad. Atad means a thorn which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning of the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. <clears throat> now, Abel Mizraim, means the mourning of the Egyptians. And we can look at this as an example of most of these, or a lot of these, 
were Israelites, but they were known as Egyptians because they were coming out of Egypt. The reason why I say that is because this comes up a lot, especially, for instance, with Moses' wife and her dad. He was, uh, they say he was a Kenite, but he was a priest. He was a Moabite priest, if I remember correctly, and they call him the Kenite. Well, the thing about that is that he lived in the land of the Kenites, but he was a Moabite. He was in the lineage of Abraham. So this is just a good example there of how they would call folks of where they're from, not necessarily of their heritage. All right, verse 12. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field of uh, for possession in a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before memory. And Joseph returned unto into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went with him to bury his father, after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brothers saw, or brethren saw, that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Now, if you will remember, Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, I pointed out that Joseph said, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. He had completely forgiven him. He says, it's not your fault that I'm here in Egypt. It's God's plan that I'm here in Egypt. Now the brothers are saying, you know, now that dad's dead, he might he might get a little mad at us. He might start remembering what we did to him. And without dad being here, he might get pretty rough on us. Verse 16, And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, now, it's not written this, so, you know, you could take, I guess we're taking their word for it. 17, so shall you say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. It broke his heart because he had forgiven them. And basically, he said, Let by, hey, it was out of anybody's control. This was God's will. And now they're bringing it back up to him again. And that's the same thing with Christ. Whenever Christ forgives you, whenever you ask forgiveness, you're forgiven. And to bring it back up, it hurts his feelings because it's like saying he wasn't good enough. His blood on the cross wasn't good enough to cover that sin. There's only one unpardonable sin and it's not possible that it's been committed yet. And you'll find it in Luke chapter chapter uh, chapter 10. Let me flip over there right quick. I believe it's chapter 10, verse 12. I believe is where it is. But let me look that up so that I'm not misguiding here. Luke chapter 10. And... Let's see here. No, Luke chapter 12, verse 10. That's where it is. Luke chapter 12, 
Yes, verse 10. And whosoever, sh and whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. Now that's a, a very good study for another time. But that's the only unpardonable sin. So when you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Most of the time people have a hard time forgiving themselves. It's not that God hasn't forgiven you. It's that your guilt or that maybe, you know, you just haven't forgiven yourself. That's all there is to it. I, I mean, I say that like it's very simple. Obviously, it's not simple, but that's what it is. Verse 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? What, what do you think I am? God, I, I'm not judging y'all. It was God's will that I'm here. I'm not going to be mad at y'all. Verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knee. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Verse 26, So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, we've come a long way from the creation, from even in chapter 1 where we read that there was... A world age before this world age. If you properly read and, and, and follow the, the word, you see that the creation story was actually a replenishing because the world has been here for millions of years, billions of years. And then through chapter 1, we read of the downfall and get to chapter 3 and have the first prophecy of the Bible. And now we've come all this way and we see this type of Savior in Joseph. And that he went from basically a shepherd boy all the way to second in command of Pharaoh. Not to mention the flood of Noah and the elimination of the Geber or the, the Nephilim, those fallen angels, those hybrids. And it's just such an interesting and such a deep book that gets overlooked so often. And there's so much in it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have really enjoyed bringing it to you. We will be picking up a new book in the next study. So God bless you. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. 
If you have any questions that you'd like to be answered on the podcast, you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com or you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas 75691. Thank you and God bless you.